service with that mic off. <laughs> so happy Eve of New Year's Eve. Are you all ready? All your inner houses are clean and ready for the new year. All the corners dusted. Oh, then you don't need me. <laughs> it is my great, I would say, honor and happiness to talk to you about happiness, to have the spot in the year to um, give you the opportunity to have clean windows in the new year. So I have some spiritual Windex in this talk, and I want to talk about how the windows of our hearts are the only things that create unhappiness when they're dirty. So happiness is a state, right? It isn't something you can acquire. It's something we inherently have. It's not necessarily, doesn't show up as this bubbly, joy-filled, some of us know those joy addicts. Every time you see them, they're just so wonderfully happy and exuding joy. But happiness can also look like peace and contentment, an inner delight in just watching eyelashes meet or the, sun mo the mopes on the sunlight when it comes through. And as I describe some of these things, I can feel people kind of having access, right? We help each other have access when we're available. And you all came here this morning available to hear about happiness. And so it's really easy for me to access it in you or to have, have you access it. I'd like to read a quote, a couple of them, um, from Ernest Holmes. People are born to be happy, live creatively, to love, to sing, to dance, and to express themselves to the fullest. And I know not every one of us wakes up every day of the, every year of our life ready to sing, dance, and express ourselves to the fullest. But I know that as we practice this philosophy, and if we keep the company of the people who kind of mirror this philosophy to us, we get closer and closer to that all the time. Ernest Holmes also says in the um, lecture on happiness that was presented for this month, uh, we read from the, I forgot to tell you this. How many people are new? Let me just get this clear. Yeah, you look like all old friends here. So you know that we've been doing a theme uh, in 2018, um, bringing it to the streets, and you know that we have monthly uh, themes and weekly topics. So, having said that, we have been following The Living the Science of Mind. It's a rather thick book, and we've been speaking on topics from chapters in that. The chapter on happiness, he says, why should we have to be so cold and indifferent, harsh and critical, or so troubled over living? It is because the child, now I just, I was moved very much by this. It is because the child has been crucified on the cross of negative experience. And now we must retrace our steps because the child in us will not be denied. The spontaneous joy of the child playing on the shore, the gladness of meeting the new day with the expectation of pleasure, 
and the quiet peace of rest at night. Untroubled by inward conflict, these are what we all long for. We must regain this lost ground if we are to have happiness, security, and peace. So it's part of our fabric as spiritual human beings. Every one of us has happiness as a place in the ground of our being. I think of my dog. I have this wonderful Wheaton Terrier. Wheaton Terriers are kind of the smartest dog breed ever, and that's probably a biased opinion. But they're clowns. They are absolute clowns. And my dog, when I arrive home, doesn't bark. But she comes around the corner, and it's me, and she shows up, and it starts in her tail. And then her whole body is going with, I am so happy to see you. It's so great that you're here. And she keeps going till I pet her and say hi. And then she gets calm. And for one second, she's calm. And then the next second, let's play. You're here. Let's play. And it doesn't matter the day that I've had at all. Absolutely. I cannot resist her insistence that we play right now. And to show me, she runs and gets a toy and she waggles it in my face like, I dare you not to play with me. And I do. 100% of the time, I do. Reverend Doris is in the house. Reverend Doris, uh, as part of her spiritual practice, walks Mackenzie and knows that she never gets to leave without playing. You have to do this with this dog. And I notice that about really happy people, too. In their presence, they challenge you to try to hang on to anything unlike the peace and happiness they have with them. You become peaceful in the presence of happy people. What I also notice is that I will drop everything that came before that moment with my dog. And almost every time she asks me to play, because it never just stops there. I'll be upstairs doing something, and the bells at the sliding glass door will ring. And she doesn't want to go out. She just wants me to come down and play with her, because I get there, and she's just in puppy bow, right? But it never fails that every time I play with her, nothing else matters. I'm not thinking about anything, but where should I throw the darn toy next? Because I delight in how happy she is at that and then when the playtime stops, the, the world crashes in and says, oh, you better get busy. You better go do something. And suddenly, I abandon all that happiness to go back into the structure that is getting things done or finding the thread of what was I feeling or thinking before I started playing and mulching on it some more, you know, mulching, munching on it. Some more. So I want to just talk about that, abandoning that happy place and the state of unhappiness, which I don't think is a state at all. It's not a place. It's a result. Unhappiness results from the crucifixion of that child in us by negative stuff. It's an error in our thinking. It's all it ever could be. Anything unlike the good that is God is an error. That's Old-time religious science speak. It's an error in our thinking. 
And one of the things that I've noticed in observing my dog and my grandkids is that they're available for their happiness, like right smack up against it. I have my three-year-old uh, grandson just told us, uh, his mom said, what do you say every morning before you go to school, Max? He says, I'm going to have a great day. He's three. I'm going to learn a lot and make good choices. Would that I were programmed with that sentence when I was three, wondering what his life is going to be like as he goes on. So there's three things that seem to be absent in McKinsey and Max. And that is resentment, unforgiveness, and negative thinking. So I would say that coming back to the window thing, that that unforgiveness in those big traumatic moments is like furniture in the hall of our heart, right? It sits in there, and you kind of know you have a big unforgiveness, maybe from a traumatic event. And when the light of spirit shines in, there are shadows hanging around. But you know those little tiny unforgivenesses? Those little tiny resentments, negative thoughts? Those are the ones that catch the sunlight and cling to the windows. And as they build up, if we don't maintain them, they create a cloud or a fog and they diffuse the light that comes in and illuminates our happiness, right? So I'm not talking about, I, you know, the obvious big forgiveness is, yes, we're always working on them and it's coming at us from every angle, forgive, 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 to be prosperous, forgive, to be happy, forgive. And we do tend to look for the big ones. But I wonder how aware we stay of how every day there are hundreds of little unforgivenesses going on in us. In the background of our thinking. Or resentments. Speaking of resentment, I was taught this. I think I've said it here before. That is anger. Anything beyond it is resentment. Meaning, anger comes, it's expressed, and it goes. But if you're feeling angry over and over again and the event isn't happening, it is, as Reverend Debbie said in one of her talks, being resent through your nervous system to re-experience it over and over and over again. So when we think about our day, and we have the rana, rana, rana in the back of our minds coming and going, sometimes we're aware and sometimes we're not, the little dust motes can look like, if only she'd, I wish she'd just, I can't, I wish I could. All those things about reality where we're forming an opinion or kind of mildly settling on something as true. And if it's anything other than the happiness and the flow and the process and the dream and the looking forward to, then it is stopping the light. It does have the power to stop the light. It may be this small, but if you have enough of this small on a window, soon you notice that you can't see. I would equate, you know, you're starting to like notice, huh, I should clean that window. I would equate that with this kind of sense of sometimes I'm not sleeping so well. 
I, I tend to get grumpy once in a while. But if more and more, without some sort of practice, without some sort of in, in intervention, suddenly we're starting to wake up grumpy and we're forgetting to do any kind of affirmation. And you can see where this goes. Eventually the window looks like it's kind of got a green film on it and it was it ever clear. And so what I know is that we have the opportunity to clean our inner windows off, the surface of our windows off. That there are practices that we can um, have. And I'm smiling because I just, in, in allowing myself to kind of flow with the talk, um, bypass a, another analogy that I really am going to share with you. As Reverend uh, Doris and I were driving up, I was kind of talking about the window analogy. And uh, she said, oh, well, I like to think of it as cat hair. And I said, that is perfect. This unhappiness analogy and the cat hair analogy. Why? And I think it's only fair. I talked about dogs, so now cats. So how many of you have ever been in a house with cat hair? Okay, how many of you have ever seen somebody who lives in a house with cat hair? That's most of us, right? So the fine thing about this analogy of the cat hair is that when it's laying around, if you're not maintaining it, if you're not picking it up, think of it as little resentments, and you'll never see cat hair the same, I promise you. Resentments and unforgivenesses. You sit down, and it gets on you. And eventually, it gets on places that you can't even see, right? The same thing with all these little awarenesses, or um, unforgivenesses. All these little things, they're on our shoulders, on our back, and we can't see them, but other people can. They can see it in our behavior. They can see it in the quality of what we're saying our life feels like at the time. And if you get cat hair on yourself by being around somebody who hasn't managed theirs, you tend to get cat hair on you too. So soon you find people not wanting to visit you because of how much cat hair is in your presence all the time because they don't want cat hair on them. Now, it came even closer or more perfect for me when I realized that we can look at people who, oh, they can't tell that they have cat hair on the back of their pants. The funny thing is, is the cat hair may have come from you, from your house. So what I know about this state of unhappiness that isn't really a state, it's a result, is that we can share it. And that we actually can create our world with it. And when we restore ourselves, when we take the time to maintain a spiritual practice, and what you might ask is that, It can also become something that is shared. It can also become something that clings to people when they walk away from you. And conversely, it will also create a feeling in people of wanting to be around you. Mind you, the goal isn't to be this overjoyed, burbling, little happy dance 
although that could result, it's that peace and contentment. It's that availability for possibility. It's having that, that space to be at choice about what we cling to next, what we gather, what we collect, what we hold on to. So if we want to access the happiness that is our fundamental birthright, as Dr. Holm puts it, we need to retrace our steps. And how I interpret retracing our steps is spending time in reflection. I would say daily. I'll take anything, but daily is good. Then the cat hair's never on your clothes. It's on the tape next to your altar or your book, or whatever you're doing, your journal. It's in your journal. But some daily reflection on, am I happy? Do I feel happy? Do I feel good today? If the answer isn't, I feel great, I'm going to learn things, and I'm going to make good choices, then we sit in this reflection and say, where are my resentments and unforgivenesses? It's not always going to be a person, but likely at the end of it somewhere, there's a person. And sometimes, probably more often than we know, the person is us in the end of the day. So in that unforgiveness place, when we're calling forth, that's what Mae McCarthy in the path to wealth, McCarthy, in the path to wealth, she has a process, a daily process called calling forth. It allows you to release so you can move forward in your spiritual life, in your practice. And you call to mind these people, these resentments, these things, anything that's standing in your way, and you go to your heart, and you simply say, I bless you, I forgive you, I love you, I release you. Sometimes I say, I release us both into our greater yet to be. And I know that a lot of us hear that, and we think, uh-huh. You know, we've tried that, but it doesn't make it go away. Well, it's because like a window that's very, very dirty, you can't just spray it once and give it a swipe. It takes as much vigilance and conviction as the thoughts that got it there, right? As the thoughts that are covering the happiness. So it takes a regular practice of kind of, I bless you. I forgive you, I love you, I release you. And if you're saying it to yourself, it might not make sense, I release you, but what you're releasing is the you that has the errant thought about yourself or about life. I love you, I release you. And as you daily practice this, Another consequence of it is those little things start to fall away. You start to maybe hear it as a mantra through your day so that when you're with a store clerk or you're someplace else where there's somebody you don't even know that might be pressing on you, 
being annoying you, upsetting you, irritating you, even making you fearful, I bless you. What is it like to turn to something or someone you fear or are intimidated by and inwardly say, I bless you. I love you. I forgive you. I release you. Immediately, you are in the witness to the fear and not the fear. Immediately, it shifts things. So when you practice that, you get these like current day little things. The unconscious stuff has a, a chance to rise up. The unconscious stuff that affects our prayers and our sense of worthiness. So the hate's forgotten, the hatred submerged. Those are the things that create the barrier between us and the immediacy of our demonstrations, our answered prayer. There is no reason we shouldn't have everything we want now, but for our belief about ourselves or about what reality is. So I am um, in... in Doing research for the talk, I found Ernest Holmes' The Art of Living. It was one of the suggested books for this month. And in The Art of Living, he tells this story about uh, forgiveness, about a man who was in London. He was a famous architect in London. And he had just made an amazing building. He had created an amazing thing. And he was very stressed out and destroyed by what he thought was the uh, stress of work, his daily life, overwhelmed. And he found himself in L.A. in the presence of Dr. Holmes at one of his sanatoriums. I didn't know that Dr. Holmes had a sanatorium, did any of you? I didn't. Well, apparently he did <laughs> in L.A., and uh, this man, all the way from London, came to him, probably on his last legs, looking to something to help him. And Dr. Holmes was driving him home from the lecture that night, and he went into his big tale of woe, all his physical maladies and what was now becoming a mental malady. He just couldn't rise above it. It was horrible for him. Dr. Holmes goes on to say how hard it was to get to the root of this, that if there was going to be any uh, changing this, any effect on this, he had to get to the root of this person's belief, of their false belief. What were they so attached to? And it took a long time. I haven't found many places where Dr. Holmes talks about something being difficult, but he used it several times in this essay when he talked about it. And they finally got to the root of the problem. Buried under all the daily things he was doing and all the little crises was his hatred of his brother, his absolute resentment of his brother. It's that stuff in the back that you can't see without a mirror or a friend, right? You either need a mirror or a friend to find some of your unconscious stuff. And we are mirrors and friends to people when we talk to them about the stuff that we see that looks like an infinite loop of unhappiness. So in any case, Dr. Holmes was this man's mirror. And he, of course, treated him, reminded him of the truth of who he was, and brought him back around. 
and his health gradually improved. It only took a few months for him to actually be restored as he forgave his brother. And Dr. Holmes talks about the forgiveness is not the permission to do harm. Forgiveness is not the condoning of the harm. It is simply allowing the event to harm you no more, right? Resentment, we resend in unforgiveness as well. When we're holding our position that something wrong has been done to us, we force ourselves and our minds to regurgitate the experience, to, to continually uh, respond to the experience. Because your unconscious doesn't know if something's really happening or if you're thinking it's happening. As long as you're having an emotional response, it responds in kind. So this forgiving, this blessing, this loving, twice as effective if you can actually spend time getting a feeling going that is loving and blessing and forgiving and releasing. Not all of us can do that very easily either, right? Our attachments are attachments. They're, they're not just things we thought were good ideas. They've got a hold of us, or it seems. We've got a hold of them too. And one of the greatest practices, it's even simpler than forgiveness, although you have to keep at it till you fluff up the feeling, is gratitude. Right? A thankful heart is a happy heart. And I know that each one of us right now can call to mind something we're grateful for. Has anyone here ever been harmed by making themselves grateful for something wonderful? Anybody? So it's not a bad idea to try to force yourself into gratitude. Because you know if you push hard enough, you can actually get there, right? I'm always grateful that my dog shows up happy the way she is. I'm grateful to come here. I'm grateful to get in my car. I like my yellow car. I love the drive. Just think about some things that you're grateful for. As a matter of fact, anybody willing to call out what they're grateful for? You can all call it out. One word. What are you grateful for, Steve? Five dogs. <laughs> yes. Health. Great. Anybody else? Okay, well, I'll leave you to. Yes, Pat. Family. Uh huh. Friends. Friends. Home, yeah. Yes, spiritual community. Anyone else want to speak a gratitude into the room? Can change your life. Music, Music yes. Love. Love. Possibilities. Perfect. Today, is that what you, I, yes, today. Grateful for today. Ah. Me too. Welcome. <laughs> she said she was grateful God woke her up this morning. Who else? 
Did you notice that as people started saying things, you started jumping on board? Friends and mirrors to each other. We can mirror happiness. We can mirror the things we're forgetting that we might do well to remember and release. So in his book of joy, the Dalai Lama writes, acceptance means not fighting reality. Acceptance means not fighting reality. Things are as they are. We can't change reality, only our perception, our interpretation of it, right? Gratitude means embracing reality. Okay, I'll love having friends. I'll love having the power to change my life. Surrendering, embracing, allowing yourself to be held by reality. It means moving from counting your burdens to counting your blessings. Right? There is a, a final thought in practicing these things that getting started is the hardest part. When you're feeling stuck, when you're feeling maybe overwhelmed or up against things, getting started is always the hardest part. But the way that you can get started is to say to yourself, stop! And start again. When you say stop or you count backwards, you do a countdown, you cease the infinite loop and you lift up a part of the loop and create a spiral that is a way out instead of staying in the circular thinking that we can get into, right? So we stop. We stop and meditate. We stop and breathe. We stop and do something else. Because physical action, changing that, will also change your thinking. 100% of the time, I guarantee it. So to clear your clutter and clean the windows of your heart for a brand spanking new 2019, let's allow ourselves to reflect on the level of our happiness. Let's search our hearts to find where resentments and unforgivenesses are distorting or dimming our light. Let's list our gratitudes until our heart opens. So that's the key, right? Keep washing the windows till they're clean. Keep listing your gratitudes. You will hit, I again guarantee this, if you keep listing and looking for things to be grateful for, your heart will open. You'll get to that place that feels better. I promise you, but you have to stick with it. So, we bless, oh, so the final thing is we bless, we forgive, we release, and we love. So happy new year to you all. It's been my great pleasure and happiness to talk to you today. Thank you.